You're listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden. From the hot and spicy Univest studio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another dangerous episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You Bet Your Garden, a listener's Carolina Reaper plant keeps dropping its pungent peppers much too soon. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's show, I'll reveal the most common causes of premature pepper drop and deliver a warning about trying to eat peppers that top a million on the Scoville scale. Plus, your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and intrinsically intuitive invocation. So keep your eyes and your ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you turning down a dangerous dare right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, the Carolina Reaper may well be one of, if not the most hot, hot pepper in the world. Coming in at a monstrous 1,600,000 Scoville units, enough to take the paint off your car. We're going to talk about these peppers, the really hot ones, and how you really do need to be careful with them. And we're also going to address a listener's question about pepper drop when the young buds fall off the plant. But before that, and before we take the first of your fabulous phone calls, I got a couple of notes from some of the last shows. As you may know, our mystery tomato contest turned out to be the variety Atomic Grape. And all of our listeners um, who wrote in, called in, and identified it said they got their seeds from Baker Creek Seed Company. I got the Baker right. I forgot the creek. It's not Baker. It's Baker Creek. Creek, not creep. And the winner, the first person to identify it is Kara. Landolt, and as soon as we get her location and her address, she'll receive a signed copy of my tomato book, which I consider a consolation prize, quite honestly. All right, time to delve into your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Kenneth. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it. May I call you Ken? Please do. May I call you a cab? <laughs> you know. <laughs> I answer to anything, especially when it comes to my wife. Right, right. Just don't call me late for dinner. Um, <laughs> where, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. It's getting a little chilly. I'm out in California, and the temperatures are dropping down to the... 40s in the morning 
Really? And um, takes us a couple hours to warm up to the mid-60s, and then it's beautiful. So you're not in deep Southern California? No, we're, yeah, I'm in Palo Alto near San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Oh, what did Mark Twain say? The coldest winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. Right on. But we're about 20 miles south of San Francisco, so we have a totally different climate. Yeah, there's a million different climates in California. All right. Uh, so now we know who you are and where you are. What do you need? Well, usually I rake up all my leaves mm -hmm. and I put it over my vegetable beds uh, during this time. But lately, because of the drought, um, the leaves haven't been decomposing until about midsummer. So when I put in my tomato plants, I'm digging a hole in the pile of leaves and planting it in there. So this year, I thought maybe since we're going to have another drought, um, I would get a leaf shredder and maybe hasten the process. Absolutely. And there's such a big Absolutely. variety. So I was wondering what, which kind would you recommend and do you have a brand and... Um, I could use any advice. I have, uh, t well, first of all, we're in a whole new world. There's no need for gasoline, and there's no need uh, for long electrical cords. Uh, I My garden equipment is totally rechargeable cordless. I have, uh -huh. I believe it's a Greenworks um, leaf okay. blower with a reverse setting uh, that shreds the leaves and a collection bag, so... No more bending over. But before we continue with that, it is vitally important to shred your leaves because whole leaves are going to prevent any water you get from getting into the soil successfully. So when the leaves are mm. shredded, they slow the rain down, but it all goes through very quickly. And with whole leaves, you can get mold on the bottom if you have a rainy spell. Oh, so, okay. I, I mean, your head's in the right place. Um, I Good. also Good. have, an, and um, I like um, the Greenworks products. The batteries are a little heavy, um, mm -hmm. but that means they're going to last longer. And I think every year we're going to see new and improved batteries the same way we see in electric cars. But almost everybody, um, you know, Toro, Black & Decker, now offers a rechargeable leaf blower slash vacuum shredder. And, oh, man, it is so nice not dragging that cord around. I gave up on gasoline like the first year I gardened. I felt like I was poisoning everything around me. And these machines are much quieter. Your neighbors aren't oh, going okay. to hunch their shoulders up and go, let me get my BB gun, Ma. I'm going to teach that boy a lesson. So everything about them is great. I mean, they're great for the environment. And again, because they're shredded as you suck them up and they go into a collection bag, uh, there's almost no work involved. You know, spend your time wisely. Spread it out. Every dry day you get, go out and, uh, you know, Shred a couple of bags, two, three bags, and what you don't need for your garden beds, put them in a compost bin. Shredded leaves mm. alone make excellent compost, and if you want to make even better compost and make it faster, 
you mix in spent coffee grounds with the leaves, mixing it as you go, and that will heat up the pile. You'll be able to warm your hands over the top of that compost pile on those cold mornings. So what? how do we judge? Um, it would be good, you know, depending on your fitness level and stuff like that, you want to look at the weight, including the weight of the battery. Um, if you're mm -hmm. like me, you may want a battery with a short lifespan for each charge <laughs> so you don't have to keep working out there. But if you want... Um, if you want to be out there for like, and this is the most beautiful time of year to be outside, um, you get the one with the longest running time. And there's also your budget. Um, the least expensive rechargeable leaf vacuum is going to do an excellent job. And, you know, what I've done is I've worn those things down to the bone. Um, the first one I got lasted me 10 years. So this... Um, this science has been out there a long time, and I'm just about to start charging up my, uh, my Greenworks one uh, to go out and attack this year's leaves. So I, you really can't go wrong, and that is the answer. The only leaves that I have hesitation grinding up would be the magnolia leaves, because I heard they take a long time to decompose. If I shred it, would that be okay? Yes. There are... Uh, they, uh, they're almost succulent, you know, they have a lot of moisture inside them. So mm -hmm. the drier you can get them, the better. And uh, the old adage with this and black walnut leaves and other, you know, kind of iffy things is don't make them a huge part of the compost, you know, like, uh, or, or the leaves mm -hmm. you suck up. 10, 20% is fine, but you don't want to try to make a compost pile out of one type of leaf if it's unusual like yours when you add the leaves to the um, vegetable garden would you add your organic um, fertilizers before and then layer the leaves on top your organic fertilizer is the shredded leaves man <laughs> okay if you feel the necessity of amending um you want to wait till the plants get a foot or two tall and then give them a gentle oh. organic feeding uh, because you can overwhelm, uh, you know, new starts that you're setting out. What, oh. A seed is mostly food. So they're well fed mm -hmm. for like their first, I don't know, 90 days, 40 days. I don't know. I'm a dummy. Two inches of shredded leaves should do you. And then if you're making compost on the side, then yes, uh, you would put down an inch of compost next season and then two inches of shredded leaves on top. But again, if you're going to use any kind of fertilizers, you know, organic is great. So I want you to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but use it gently and wait till the plants have some size. Okay. All right, okay. man. Terrific. Thank you for all your help. I appreciate it. We appreciate your call. Good luck now. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in the soon-to-be Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, coming up later. Hot peppers, hot, hot, hot peppers. Over a million Scoville units. And yet we have a listener complaining that they are not ripening up. They're falling off his plant when they're just little babies. We'll discuss why and how this happens and warn you not to try to eat one of these things when we get to the question of the week. In the meantime, more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Cindy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Mike, hello, how are you? I'm just Ducky. Ducky. <laughs> Ducky's always Ducky. happy when somebody brings him on to the show. How are you? I am doing very well. Thank you so much. And where? And I'm in Sagertown, Pennsylvania. Sagertown. Yes, which is, um, I thought, eh, he's not going to know this, but it's about 40 miles south of Lake Erie. Yeah, no, I was going to say you're up by you're up by Erie, PA. Yes. I remember speaking um to a gardening group up in Erie several years ago and boy, it was the land of blue tarps, that's for sure. Yes. So, uh what can we do you for? Well, I my question is about storing potatoes. Okay. I have lots of potatoes to store. I don't have a root cellar. I don't have um I guess I just don't know how to store them. Okay. To make sure they don't start, you know, you know, eyes growing and whatever. I read someplace, you know, I did the Google thing, of course, and so I need to check with my key expert. But it said about putting apples with them, and it's supposed to help maintain them. But no. that sounded totally counterintuitive. That's wrong. Yeah, so, okay, so we're putting them, like, in the fridge, if you have fridge space. No, I no, mean, no, we, no, no. Okay. okay. So you have harvested your potatoes. Yes. Just curiously, what kind of varieties did you grow? Um, I grew Kennebec. I grew um, Potomac. I think it's Potomac red right. potatoes. A famous variety, um, yeah. And then I grew some sort of yellow potato. Not much, but mostly those two. Okay. And um, how big is your harvest? How many plants uh, did you uh, harvest from? Oh, oh boy. Probably about... Let's say roughly a twenty by four foot area. There was a lot. Okay, you know, one thing I learned when I was in in Erie visiting and and doing my lectures and talks and stuff, um, everybody told me they moved there because land was cheap and they could grow as much as they wanted. Yes. So uh, the basics. I hope you have not washed them. No. Good. Uh, nope. Um, and do they still have I dirt? I cured them for a couple of weeks. Okay. How did you cure so, them? Yeah. Um, I just put them, I laid them out in our garage mm-hmm. um, where it was dark um, for a couple of weeks 
some of them I put a, a fan on for a while just to have air circulation. Okay. And I just left them, you know, like single, like laying on the table so they weren't like too close together, not piled up, but like single layer. Okay. Very good. I don't know that that's necessary, but it helps you in the next round. Um, curing to me uh, is what's done to garlic and sweet potatoes and perhaps onions. I think that the, um, you know, but the fan on them, the dark on them, that is great. Now, the ideal storage, what I use at home is the bread drawer that has been, came as, as part of our cabinet set. Um, cause you want to keep them in the dark to avoid sprouting. Right. You don't want to put anything else in there. And what I do is I've saved onion bags and, um, uh, spring bulb bags, you know, the netted bags. And right. even, you know, in some cases when I bought organic potatoes, they had that perfect combination. They had, um, nice heavy paper with um, ribbing or whatever you want to call it, um, netting on the other side. So, because you want good air circulation. So that lets a little bit of air in, but still keeps the potatoes in the dark. So anything you do to keep them in the dark, but somehow ventilated, um, I, I pull my bread drawer out a couple of inches so that the, um, and then the slide is moved back. So there's a little opening there and there's a round cutout to use your finger, uh, to pull it out further. So I keep that exposed and give it an inch on the front and I've done very well. What I want you to do now, pardon? I'm sorry, temperature doesn't matter? Well, it does, um, but you shouldn't refrigerate them. Uh, They'll get all mealy. And the ideal storage temperature would be around 40 degrees. So... um, That's what I can't duplicate. Are you sure? You're in Erie. You you have to have a cold room somewhere. Well, I did... Because it gets really cold here, so I can't keep them like we have. We have a um, unattached garage. I can't keep them there. I did have like there's one room in my house that gets colder, but we heat with a wood stove, so that you know it's nice and toasty in my house in the in the winter time. I have one room that's kind of away, so I would close the door and try to keep stuff in there. But I would still have sprouting. I don't know that it gets to. I get. I could crack a window open. I don't know. I. I don't know that it gets that cold in that room. And over the years, I've always had. They always start sprouting. <clears throat> excuse me. And or getting like soft before I can use them all up. Yeah, soft is bad. Um, yes. And uh, uh, is the sprouting late enough in the season that you can just use those for replanting? Some is. Okay. Some definitely. Because that's this is a great issue for us to discuss because a lot of people don't know that you can eat potatoes that have produced tiny eyes. All you do is pick, mm-hmm. pick off the eyes and the potatoes are fine. But, you know, once they grow tendrils, <laughs> you know, then they're not really even good for planting. They're for composting. 
I, right. I like the idea of that clean. Uh, no. Well, I'm presuming your rooms are clean. What's wrong with me? <laughs> I yeah. like the idea of that cold room. Um, is there any heat in that? Like anything you could turn down? Um, we have baseboard heat, um, baseboard hot water heat. So I could just, I mean, I think I do have like the vents closed mm-hmm. on it. Um, and then I, right now I have them. I have the potatoes stored in boxes, like cardboard boxes, right? That I put newspaper on top of, and they're just up in my garage. But I thought when it starts getting colder, I can't keep them there. So maybe then I'll bring them in and try that room. Yes, and I would repack them. I would run. Okay. I would uh, do the newspaper all through the box, not just on the top, and okay. and then I would lightly close the top you know the old trick okay, you mean like layers, layers of newspaper and then potatoes yeah yeah but it doesn't have okay. to, you know it doesn't have to be like a gift set or anything like that right but put a layer on the bottom put in some potatoes put in more newspaper and crunch it up don't use it as a flat sheet and okay. and then you know you can even poke holes in the box um for ventilation you know that's always when you get bulbs or something like that in the mail but put mouse traps in that room so that you find out right away if mickey and minnie have uh smelled out the hoard that you've put away uh but oh it, my. pardon i said oh my i never thought about that i've never had trouble with mice oh that's a kin of her if i ever heard one <laughs> you know wow <laughs> turn around three times and spit um yeah uh, no, you always want to have m- mouse protection uh, when you've got things like this. Uh, unless you're the type of person who's going to visit them every day and look for gnawing holes in the cardboard. But I would surround okay. them I would surround them with abated uh, mouse traps. You'd be surprised sometimes. Wow, okay. Then when you're ri- my cat. that oh, well, put the cat in the room. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You won't have to feed it as much. Um, <laughs> and then after that, um, when you're ready to use them, that's the time to brush off the dirt and wash them right before use. Right, right. And if you, okay. have, if you have like 20 left over uh, that have nice sprouts on them, use those as your planting stock again, unless there were signs of disease. Okay. And, and so, if but if they if they become too long, then they're not good even for planting. Yes, yeah, you you, you know the ones. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hopefully, it won't get that far. You keep them cool. You keep them in the dark. Um, the storage potential of your individual varieties is going to differ as well. Uh, if you look at the catalog descriptions carefully next time, it may say the Kennebunk. The white potato is excellent for storage, and right. maybe red potatoes um, need to be used first, for instance. So do some research on the storage uh, potential of those different varieties and use them in the correct order. Use the ones that tend to sprout early first, and you may get out of this um, free and clear. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Wonderful talking to you. Same to you. So you take care. Bye-bye, and we'll speak again. Bye now. 
888-492-9444. Bill, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. <laughs> well, thank you for making it, Bill. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing well. The weather's decent, and I'm out decommissioning my garden. Uh, how are you doing? I'm just ducky. Thanks. Great. Thanks for asking. Where are you, Bill? I'm in Kintnersville, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Yeah, not too far from us, right? Yep. All right. What can we do you for, sir? All right. Um, with the price of oil this year and four dead ash trees on my property, I'll be burning a lot of wood in my stove this winter. Mm-hmm. Um, by spring, I'll have about half a dozen five-gallon buckets of ash. Okay. And uh, my question is, is wood ash good for vegetable gardens, flower gardens, perennials like rhubarb, asparagus, or blueberries, or any other plants, or even just the lawn, just to keep it out of the uh, landfills? Um, quite possibly, yes. But it depends on the pH of your soil. Wood ash contains lots of good nutrients, but it is highly alkaline. So if your soil is already at 6.5 or a 7, you don't want to make it more alkaline. However, this is the perfect opportunity to get a simple soil test. And now is the great time to do it. You're in Pennsylvania. Penn State has a great soil lab. And you'll get your results back very quickly because it's an off time of year. People aren't sending in their samples now. So I want you to go to the Penn Penn State Extension, uh, Pennsylvania Extension website, and you click on where it says Soil Lab, and they'll tell you you know, where to get the mailer to send it in, or they'll send you one. And if all you want is pH, which I would recommend, um, it's not going to cost you very much at all. So you know how people routinely lime their lawns. Yep, yep. Um, I used to do that when I had a small lawn. (laughs) Yeah, wood ash is just as effective as lime, but it contains a lot of micronutrients and even macronutrients. So if your lawn tests below 6.5, again, lower numbers are acidic, higher numbers are alkaline. But if it's below 6.5, it could benefit from a liming, so to speak, with wood ash. And you can probably arrange if you get a full soil test. I don't know. It used to cost like 10 bucks, 20 bucks. Uh, they will give you recommendations. And they'll be, if you're 
soil is acidic, which a lot of Pennsylvania soils are, um, they'll give you a, quote, liming recommendation of how many pounds of lime to apply per, you know, thousand square feet, whatever. All you need to do is add a third to that. Um, if it says to use a pound of lime, use a pound and a third of your wood ashes. Uh, but not only is it a great way to dispose of them in an environmentally conscious way, it will help your lawn. And again, your garden, if your garden is acidic, just don't use wood ash near acid-loving plants like right, blueberries, like azaleas, and rhododendrons. But yeah, um, I actually thank you because it's around this time of year uh, that I remind people who burn wood for heat, and there's going to be a lot more of us this year, um, that the wood ash is very helpful if you have acidic soil. So get your soil tested, keep those buckets dry, and apply it in the spring. Okay, great. I might actually get to use the uh, lime spreader that I bought years ago and haven't used. <laughs> as, <laughs> long, as long as the wood ash is kept dry, Absolutely. Yep. Well, I keep it dry. It's in buckets in the basement. So. Okay. All right. Now you got a use. Yep. Thank you very much, Mike. My pleasure. You take care and good luck to you, sir. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Goodbye. This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will discuss the hottest hot peppers of them all and why they may drop off the plant when they're just little babies. You won't want to miss it, and you won't because you're going to listen to a couple more fabulous phone calls before that. 888-492-9444. Billy, help me out. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, sir. How you doing? I am doing well. Enjoying the weather up here in Medina, Minnesota. Minnesota? Nine months of snow and three months of poor sledding. All right. What can we do you for, sir? Well, um, I just moved into a new house, and I built um, these raised beds. Um, they're like these galvanized steel raised beds. They're eight feet by four feet by um, four feet um, um, in, in length. Does that mean they're four feet high? Yes. yes they're kind of deep. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And I also want to mention to our listeners that I'm seeing and hearing about more people using steel or another metal to frame their beds because they know no matter what else may happen, it ain't going to rot. So proceed, sir. True. 
Okay, so I put a post on my local Facebook gardening group and just kind of asked them where was a good place to get some local um, soil because um, I was going to do, you know, your recommendation of a mix of compost, um, topsoil, and I was going to get some bags of um, perlite to mix in. Um, a lot of people mentioned since it's so deep that I should consider putting like a bunch of um, uh, um, cut up tree, um, like tree root, not tree roots, but um, um, uh, cut up, uh, um, cut up wood in the bottom and branches and leaves in the bottom of the, um, the the raised beds, and then putting soil, then my soil mixed in on top of it. They said it was like a form of this thing called Hugel culture gardening, yep. which apparently is like German for mound gardening. Yes, but I wanted to talk to you and see what you thought about that. Well, hugoculture is uh, a form of permaculture. So it is kind of a, a more permanent planting than many of us perform. And although I don't advise people put rocks or gravel or anything on the bottom of their raised beds, there is a big hugoculture um fan club, for lack of a better word, out there. And the idea is that you're going to lay these logs and branches, you know, just fresh wood, not mulch or um, any kind of old lumber or anything. You're going to lay that down. If you got four feet, man, you could you could come up to two feet. And the okay. idea is the wood is so far down that it's not going to interfere with uh, not nitrogen fixation, but the plants having access um, to adequate nitrogen. And over the years, perhaps even the decades, that wood will slowly rot away into good soil. So I can't think of a single reason to say no. Yeah, I have a couple of trees that I'm going to be cutting down actually in the next month. And so I said, well, this is perfect. If this is a good idea, I can take some of that wood because I didn't know what to do with all of it. And I can put some in these raised beds. Yeah. Uh, and have you looked up Hugo culture? I have. I've kind of looked it up. A lot of it, you know, they don't talk about putting it in fixed beds, but I have seen a couple of groups where they talk about, yeah, just mixing that in. They talk about mixing leaves in and, you know, they say, oh yeah, my garden plants come out wonderful and they just, they just love it. In traditional hugel culture, they're building, as you said earlier, mound. Um, they've got all this wood underneath and they pile soil on top of it and they're not growing uh, vegetable plants. They're growing native plants or, you know, that kind of a thing, flowering things that you don't eat. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually they say uh, not only will the wood rot, but as it rots, the mound will become more level over time. So you're kind of doing half a hugo culture. <laughs> but I think, it's a, <laughs> I think it's a great idea, and it's becoming more and more popular all the time. And I say go for it, man. Okay, I will give it a try. Do you think it'll be a problem? Because you said they use it with more flowering plants. This is going to be a, a, a strictly a vegetable garden. That's why I built three of them, because I'm going to have tomatoes, so I have some place to rotate them each year. Yes. Do you think that'll be a problem? No, because what I'm saying is you got four feet, two feet of wood, and then you've got two feet of my soil mixture. So the roots 
are barely going to touch the wood, if at all. And over the years, if they begin to touch the wood, the wood will have mostly become soil. So, no, I think it's a great idea. All right, man? Okay, perfect. I love your show. I listen to you just about every week that I can. So thank you so much for taking my call. It is a pleasure talking to you today. Pleasure is mine. Thank you very much, and good luck. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As promised, it is time for an especially spicy question of the week, which we're calling Carolina Reapers. Hot, 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 but somewhat testy. Back in early October, Gabriel in Ozark, Missouri wrote, I have a young Carolina Reaper pepper plant that started budding back in July and August. There were around two or three dozen buds early on. But over the last month or so, I started noticing buds that had been liberated from the plant at the stem of the bud. I presume a pest of some sort was gnawing them off. I put a fine mesh screen over the plant, and that seemed to help slow the bud loss. However, buds are still dropping off. I have had just one ripe fruit so far. What could be causing these buds to, quote, liberate, and how can I mitigate or eliminate this problem? Again, the buds are liberated but not eaten. I have attached two photos. One shows five of these, quote, liberated buds lying on the soil. The other shows an overall photo of the plant. Well, first, I want to warn everybody out there that this pepper is not for eating. As the comedy troupe Monty Python once said, it is for lying down and avoiding. Coming in at a seriously scorching 1,600,000 Scoville units, They are a measure created to score the hotness of hot peppers. It was once judged to be the hottest hot pepper in the world. But it is now being challenged by breeders who claim their new entries reach well over 2 million Scoville units. This is madness. In comparison... Tasty jalapenos measure in at two to 8,000 units. Now, that's a pepper you can enjoy without risk of chemical mouth burns. The once-feared Scotch bonnet now seems mild at 100,000 units. And the legendary hotter-than-Hades habanero is, quote, only 250,000 units. Once you get up near a million, you're talking about stripping the paint off your esophagus. I quote from a 2020 article in the journal Radiology Case Reports, which is a publication of the National Institutes of Health, that is titled Fear the Reaper. Now I quote, the Carolina Reaper is one of the spiciest edible peppers in the world. Similar in size to the habanero, these bright red little peppers are commercially available in raw form, as well as seeds, dried peppers, and flavoring for sauces. 
hot pepper eating contests have grown in popularity and often feature ingestion of raw Carolina Reaper peppers as the pinnacle challenged. While localized symptoms such as mouth burning and mouth numbness are the main risks of eating these peppers, recent case reports have revealed more serious complications of these potent foods. Reversible cerebral vasoconstriction syndrome, which is shutting off blood to the brain. Myocardial infraction, heart attack, and esophageal rupture have all been reported. Okay, you have now been warned. We move on to address Gabe in the Ozarks. Remember Gabe? It was a while ago. Aborted fruiting, meaning that the flower made it through okay, but it all went blahooey after that, is surprisingly common with hot peppers. Although we tend to think that hot peppers prefer Arizona-like weather in the summertime, when mere humans have to dig deep caves and live under the sand for months at a time, they actually grow best at temperatures between 75 and 85 degrees Fahrenheit. And they despise temperatures below 50 Fahrenheit. They don't mind drying out once in a while, but they hate being overwatered, which may be the number one source of the kind of stress that causes premature fruit drop. That's right, plant stress. Not an insect, not a disease. As deadly to peppers as it is to us humans, stress can cause heart attacks as can eating one of these little hand grenades and other bad things and just make your life seem even more awful than it really is. Of course, this depends on how awful your life is. Individual results will vary. Now, it's not that the plants are overly temperamental. Remember that tomato flowers will fail to produce fruits when temps reach the 90s. But stress is stress, and plants don't like it any more than we do. Let's get specific. One of Gabriel's photos reveals a splendid-looking pepper plant, with the exception of it having actual peppers on it. As I always try to stress, ah, that's a wrong word, remind you all, Healthy leaves are a sure sign that disease, insects, and or sunspots are not to blame. That leaves cultural conditions. If, like Gabe, you have plants in pots, bring them inside before monsoon rains arrive. If midday temperatures are predicted to approach the average on Mercury or Venus, bring the plants inside. If the plants are in the ground and you have advance warning of such disasters, pot them up now. Do not have saucers under your pots, Gabe. They are guaranteed to produce too much water stress. Don't feed peppers or other fruiting plants with a lot of nitrogen. You'll get big plants with lots of leaves and few fruits and or fruits that fall off early in the game. 
in the same vein, don't go nuts on the phosphorus and or potassium. Plants fed with repurposed explosives, like Miracle Gag, will always be stressed by the unnatural growth these, quote, fertilizers cause. If you grow in a coolish clime, give the plants all the sun possible. Otherwise, try to plant where they will receive full morning sun and get a shady break in the afternoon. Think about using some of those old beach umbrellas you got in the cellar if you can't achieve this shade naturally. Well, that sure was some interesting information about hot peppers. Now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure or whatever, click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to rustle my reapers if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444. Seriously, you can, and we're making sure you can leave a message now. Uh, or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. I think we fixed that thing, too. Please include your location when and if you email us. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when a dying alien gave him a very special green ring that changed from Batman to Bruce Wayne when you turned it upside down. The living legend of South Street, Ken Queter, is our musical director. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is the almost always cheerful Charlie Sarah. Good luck with your Mets next year, pal. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and send her your pretty garden pictures so she can post them at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Teresa Radke is our peerless princess of profound production. The always lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. As always, special thanks to our beloved band of hoodlums, thieves, and card sharks, Zach the Tat, Jacob Morris, Eric Warner, and anybody else who's hanging out or maybe hiding out in the control room. Our beloved and bedraggled CEO, Tim Fallon, claims innocence in the strange occurrence 
wherein many of our employees brought in leftover Halloween candy to share, and when the sun arose the next morning, there was only an empty Necco wafers wrapper to be found. I'm leaf shredding Mike McGrath, and I'll be shredding leaves and shredding leaves and shredding more leaves and shredding even more leaves and hoping that the lousy supercharged rechargeable battery that powers my leaf sucker upper will run out of juice before I see you again next week. What? It still has three quarters of a charge? Hey, hey! You've been listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden. Say it again. down there and she'd go out in the evenings and pick her a mess of it cat home and cook it for supper and if she had any leftovers she'd dry it out and smoke it but she did all right Give me some of uh...